I feel like the height of the pulpit gives away who's preaching today. <laughs> it's not me. Uh, we have apparently our Mother's Day and Father's Day special duo. Can we give it up for Tiff, who's going to be giving forth the word today? Thank you. Yo, it was rough when we had the other pulpit. <laughs> So good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads. We are continuing our series on uh, misunderstood or misquoted uh, verses from Scripture. And as I was trying to think of an intro for today's sermon, I was really struggling. I was really struggling because now this is, I think, I think this is like the fourth, ser fourth message in our series. And all the ideas I had for my intro were already taken. So I had, the I had the joke about Hobby Lobby, you know, being the mecca of Christian home goods. And John took that. And, and then I was going to talk about how today's verse is always, like, on plaques and, like, hung up in homes. And, and Johnny talked about that, too. <laughs> so then I was like, I almost started to feel like I was in this battle with this preaching team. Like every week we come up here and we try to convince you that today's verse, this verse is the most misquoted, this is the most misused out of context verse in all of scripture. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It's mine. It's totally mine. It's totally mine. Today's verse is the only verse we're going to be preaching on from the Old Testament, which is the easiest testament to cherry pick verses out of. It's the easiest one because no one wants to deal with the historical and the theological framework of Israel, right? No one wants to read through Jeremiah, which is the longest book in the Bible, and they place it so far, so if you start from the beginning, even if you get through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you still got the Psalms, you still got Proverbs, you still got Isaiah before you get to Jeremiah. Like, I would be so impressed if most of us here have read through the book of Jeremiah. But I'm also pretty positive that almost everyone has heard Jeremiah 29:11. You guys ever do that thing where you're like looking, you're praying for a word from the Lord, and you just like close your eyes with your Bible, you let it fall open, and then you just point to a verse and you're like, this is what this spirit has led me to, right? I think that's how Jeremiah 29, 11 got so popular. Like someone somewhere was on a retreat, it was their personal devotion time, they're on a hilltop, they found this verse, and then they posted it somewhere. And then everyone started reposting and it went viral. Like that's the only explanation I have for how Jeremiah 29:11 got so trendy. So we're gonna talk about it today. We're gonna talk about it in context. And we're also gonna talk a little bit about how we ought to understand the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. Do they apply to us as a church? Can we claim those promises for us? So why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are so good, that you give us humor, you give us laughter, and you have given us your word. And Father, we ask that your spirit would be present with us, that we may hear you, that we may learn from you, that those things that we need to be convicted of, corrected, that you would bring that to light. 
Lord, we thank you. We submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I already gave it away. Today we're going to be in Jeremiah. We're reading the verse in context, starting with Jeremiah 29.10. So the translation that should be posted in your service sheets or if you use the ESV Bible, I'm going to be reading the ESV translation first, and then I'm going to read just the verse, just verse 11 in the NIV. Um, and that's because I think that's a translation most of us have heard. So Jeremiah 29.10, ESV. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 from the NIV, which I think most of us have heard, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, to understand the context of this verse, we have to understand the context of Jeremiah, as well as the context of where it falls in Israel's history, as well as where it falls in God's overarching redemptive plan. Now, Jeremiah was a priest and a prophet, and he was ministering in the southern kingdom of Israel. If some of you might recall, because of King Solomon's sin, the kingdom of Israel had been split into two. So there was a northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and the southern kingdom, which we call Judah. So Jeremiah's down here. This is happening about 600 years before Christ. And Jeremiah the prophet at this time was telling the Israelites that they had to turn from their idolatry. If they did not cease from their idolatrous ways, if they didn't stop their evil practices, judgment was sure to come. He wasn't popular. He wasn't popular. But he was right. Judgment came. Judgment came. And the curses that came from breaking the covenant that from Mount Sinai came upon Judah. And Jeremiah lived through and witnessed the devastation of Judah as Babylon took them over. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, helped himself to captives from Judah. He started deporting people, deporting Israelites from Judah into Babylon, starting with whoever he thought was useful. Now, can you imagine this? I think most of us have been sheltered from the realities of war. See, the city was destroyed. The temple of God was destroyed. Families were torn apart. This is the lowest moment in Israel's history. Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, he saw his sons killed, and then the scripture says he had his eyes gouged out before being put in chains and taken away to Babylon. Now, can you imagine being one of those people who were deported? Can you imagine how you might feel 
leaving your family, being forced and held in this foreign nation that wasn't your home. Those are the people to whom Jeremiah is writing to in our feel-good wall decor passage today. Our text is a letter from Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon, assuring them that God is still for them, that he is faithful to fulfill his promises to Israel, that despite the tragedy of their circumstance, despite the hopelessness and despair of their situation, now they're in this country without their lives that they had in Judah, God is still faithful to them. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about God's promises. The first thing we learn is that God's promises are only fulfilled in God's timing. God's promises will be fulfilled according to the timeline that he has, not the timeline that we have. See, in verse 10, Jeremiah records the Lord saying this, saying that the period of their captivity in Babylon is going to last 70 years. Now, this is totally contrary to all the other false prophets hanging out in Judah at that time. See, all the false prophets were telling the people what they wanted to hear. They're like, don't worry about it. This is going to be short. God's going to redeem us. And Jeremiah's like, nah, it's going to be a whole other generation before these exiles can come back, before you can come back. In fact, the passage before today's passage has God telling the exiles, hey, Settle down, build homes, marry, seek the prosperity of the city where I have brought you. God's saying, it's going to be a minute before you go home. And this is jarring news. This is jarring news. You know, it's often that for us, that when we're believing that God is going to answer a prayer for us, maybe we've received the word from someone that God is going to come through. We also think, hey, he's going to come through on our timeline. He's going to come through today or maybe next week. But I'll give him a month. And it's often that we measure his goodness by our timing, by our timing. I think about Abraham and Sarah, who's recorded in the book of Genesis. God had told Abraham that he was going to give Abraham numerous descendants. He's like, look at the stars in the sky. You're going to have this many descendants. They're going to be like the sand on the beach. And even though it says, the scripture says, Abraham believed God, it also records that Abraham and Sarah laughed at the idea because they were so old. Not only that, the scriptures tell us of their sins. See, God was taking too long. God was taking too long so Sarah has an idea, and then Abraham rapes her servant, Hagar, who I assume is of childbearing age. He rapes her so that they can have a child, so that they can have an heir. You know, we're, we're not too different than the Israelites. We're not too different in our impatience and impudence with the Lord. You know, it's often we don't understand the vast difference in composition between who we are and who God Almighty is. See, we don't understand the Lord's measure of time. We don't understand that he is the creator God and we are the creation. So like the rebellious people of Israel, we listen to the people who tell us what we want to hear. We listen to the false prophets. We listen to the friends who steer us wrong instead of waiting upon God. 
So back then, long time ago in my early 20s, I had probably a codependent relationship with someone that had ended. And even though the pain of that breakup was so severe, I had been rooted in Christ deep enough to know that healing was going to come. So I waited. I waited. I remember this. I waited for God. I sat with the pain. I didn't try to rush him to the end. I didn't get distract myself doing harmful things, which I know is a temptation for many of us when we're facing pain. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't in a place good enough to throw myself to God. I wasn't going to recommit to Bible study and do all the things that we think are going to fix us. I just waited. I just waited. And sure enough, I was healed. God's promise are fulfilled in God's timing, not ours. Not ours. And this is a truth we must practice. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's like easy to hear but hard to like actually live out. Like my kids have a book from the Elephant and Piggy books. If you guys ever know that series, it's called Waiting is Not Easy. Waiting's not easy. Even kids know this. Yet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations, it says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait. So we can practice this. What else do we learn from Jeremiah's letter? We learn that God's promises are rooted in relationship with him. God's promises cannot be separated from a relationship with him. And this is funny. Because the times that I see Jeremiah 29, 11 posted, I feel like it's, it's often by people who aren't really focused on a, a long, submitting discipleship with Jesus Christ. Like, we want the blessings of God without God. And there's a reason, I mean, there's a reason why this verse and the two verses uh, in the past two weeks, why these verses make it into, like, Christian home decor, right? Because it makes us feel good. Right? Like it's good things that God has said for us, and we want to hear it. Who wouldn't want to hear it? And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as it doesn't end there. So a while ago, I was really inspired by Muslims, because Muslims revere God extremely highly. And they have scriptures from their book, from the Quran. They have it, just verses and scripture that exalt God hanging in their homes. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want to exalt God on my walls in my two-bedroom apartment. I think back then I didn't even have a two-bedroom in my, no, I did, I did, <laughs> in my two-bedroom apartment. And I found nothing. I found nothing. Everything that is on the market today is all one-sided. It's all about encouraging us. It's all about making us feel good. And it really made me think, like, do Christians understand that it's, it's we who are serving him, that he's not ser serving us. You know, we're not up here on the pedestal. He doesn't work for us. You know, do we understand that at this service every Sunday, we're not the audience and the worship team isn't doing a concert for us. They're helping all of us worship God. So Jeremiah wrote in verse 12, you will call upon me, you will come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Hebrew, the word heart is like your gut. 
It's like inside of you when you seek God with all of yourself. You see, God's relationship with man demands intimacy. It's honestly, I'm going to be real, it's the most bizarre gospel that we preach. When every other religion says we have to earn our way to salvation, we got to do these works to be good enough to earn this salvation, and we're over here, we Christians are like, nah, it's not about that. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Like, what does that even mean? I'm going to tell you one thing it means. It means that our God is real. One of my professors used to emphasize Psalm 115 a lot. In Psalm 115, it talks about how idols are made from silver and gold. They're the work of human hands. They have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear, mouths that don't speak. And the only relationship you have with this false idol is one where you're telling the idol what to do. You're telling the idol how it is. You're, you're making up this God. There's no relationship with this golden calf that got made up. There's no relationship with something that's just pretend. You never see Santa, except in the mall, but you never see the real Santa. You never see Santa. You just expect the gifts to come. But the real God, the real God demands a real relationship. His gift is not going to come out of an imaginary sleigh. His gift is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. His gift is Christ who came to us to lead us back to him. See, there's no fulfilled promise. There's no such thing as a promise without a relationship with God. You can't just claim these verses out of thin air and think that's it. Church, do you understand this? God's promises are rooted in knowing him. And finally, let's get to the heart of it. What does Jeremiah 29, 11 actually mean? What does it mean? So our final point is this. It's that God's promises to his people and for his people, the church, are indeed for our good. It's true. God's promise to the exiles who have lost all hope in Babylon, as well as his promise for us, the church. This is the part we like. Jeremiah 29, 11 is good. I mean, it's true. It's for our good. Now, good, as John talked about a few weeks back, can have some different meanings, right? So the NIV, which I read earlier, translates the verse as, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to prosper you. And this translation has caused some people to claim this verse as evidence that God's desire for his people is financial prosperity. That if you're faithful enough, God's going to make you rich. He's going to build your business. He's going to do everything for you. And that's a bastardization of this verse. That's absolutely a corruption of this verse. That's not what this verse means. The ESV translates it as welfare, which is a bit closer. The actual Hebrew word in this verse, you might have heard of it, is shalom. Shalom. God knows the plans he has for his people, and his plan is for peace, is for wholeness, is for completeness, is not for harm. God is telling the exiles in Babylon, hey, I know your situation, but don't worry, you're going to be good. You're going to be good. And that is so much more significant to these Israelites who have lost their homes 
than the shallow idea that God wants to make us rich. See, God's not promising some individual worldly success. Your MLM career is not going to take off. He's promising that their well-being, that they're, they're going to have shalom in the midst of this tragedy. You're going to be safe. You're in Babylon now, but you're going to be safe. You're going to be good. So this promise, this plan that God has, this intent he has not only for Israel, but is also true for his church. So let me take a second to, to explain why we can see this promise, why we can see the promises given to Israel in the Old Testament. When we read these verses, we can see them as applicable to, this, to our church, to the church. So now we got to jump to the new. We always have to read the Old Testament in light of the revelation of the new, right? So the Apostle Paul expounds for us in his letter to the Romans. He expounds and he says some really shocking news. He says, uh, not everyone who was part of Israel is a child of Abraham. Not everyone who has the DNA of their father of Abraham in their blood, not all of them were true children of his. Now that's, that's offensive. That's shocking. That's like saying, yo... <laughs> Yo, you're not, you're not your daddy's son. Like, that's not, he's not your dad. And it's like, what? Even Jesus challenged the people. Even Jesus said, if you guys were children of Abraham, you'd be doing what Abraham would do. You wouldn't be trying to kill me. You know, it's almost like, you know, the spoiled kid who rejects his parents. But he's going to use the money and the name to get into the clubs. That's how it felt. That's how it felt. But Paul is saying, nah, you're not really Israel. You know who's really a child of Abraham? It's the children who share the same faith as Abraham. And that's exciting. Why? Because that's us. Because that's us. And this is really bizarre. Because even if ancestry DNA shows 0% Jewish blood in our bodies, we are children of Abraham because we have faith in Jesus the way that Abraham believed in God. And that means that when we read the promises that God makes to Israel, even though we have no biological, historical lineage to this ancient nation with names that are hard to pronounce, we can claim our inheritance along with the Israelites who were faithful to God. It's like this, because I know this is challenging. It's like this. It's like if we were a child, and our dad was in the process of adopting us. He's in the process. I hear adoption's a really long process. So he's in the process of adopting us. And while he's in the process, he's writing letters to his biological children in his home. He's writing letters saying how he loves them. And when, he, when they turn 16, he's going to get all his kids a car. And he's saving up for their college fund. And then we, we get adopted. We join this family. We read these letters. We can claim these letters. We're going to claim that car when we turn 16. We're going to claim that college fund because as Paul wrote in the church, there's neither Jew nor Greek. In the church that's been redeemed by Christ, there's no difference between us and those who came from Abraham. We are of equal standing before God. So these promises that God had made for his children are also promises to us. 
Jeremiah 29.11, even though in context it's written specifically to this group of exiles in Babylon, we can read it as an encouragement to us because we're part of his family. See, many of us don't realize this, but we Gentiles, we non-Jews, we've been in God's plan since the beginning, since the beginning. God had told Abraham that he was going to make his name great because in him, all the families on earth would be blessed. All the families. That means all the nations on earth, from Puerto Rico to China to Saudi Arabia to Japan, all the families of the earth were promised in the promise that God made to Abraham. Paul wrote that God had preached the gospel to Abraham. And I don't know if Abraham understood it. I don't know. I don't know if he understood that the numerous descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, would actually, actually be spiritual children, would actually be us. We were talked about, we were prophesied about from the very beginning. That was God's plan. That was God's plan. So we should never feel second rate just because we're not Jewish. We're not Israel. And because of that, we also inherit the blessings, the everlasting blessings of God. See, God's plans for his church are for our good. We have a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11 is an encouragement for us. So how ought we to live? So you don't have to tear that down from your wall. <laughs> so how should we live? Now we know the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. Now we know we can find encouragement in these words, but they weren't written to us, right? Well, we, we might not have been conquered by Babylon. Our ancestors may not have been brought into exile in a different, in a different uh, country, but we've endured persecution in our own context, right? We know we're not home. We're waiting for our entrance into our heavenly homeland. We're waiting, just like the people of faith that were described in Hebrews, we're waiting. We know we're citizens of God's kingdom and that this future for us is sure to come. So one thing we can do is we can persevere in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus, that as we know, gave up his heavenly home to come to earth to live as an exile on earth so that he could redeem us through his death. Jesus, who John wrote, came into the world that he created to his own people who rejected him. He endured for the sake of the glory set before him. He was never meant to be left in that tomb. God knew his plan. Jesus was never going to stay there. And Jesus' resurrection is evidence to us of our future resurrection. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? The exaltation of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is alive means we will be alive. Now second, we can rejoice in God's declaration of faithfulness to his people because it means that our time here in this fallen world is not for eternity. We can wait patiently Enjoy for God's timing. Jesus told us he is preparing a place for us. And we get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation. It says, there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. If you are feeling weary and tired of this life recently, 
if you are finding it hard to live here in this world that has sin, which doesn't align with God, if you're feeling tired, know that God's plan is for something better. And third, knowing this, we should be emboldened to live as ambassadors to those in Babylon who are still in darkness. See, the takeaway from Jeremiah 29, 11 is that we cannot lose. Our future is secure. God is good for his word. Our retirement fund is set. We're good. So I want to encourage us to live for those who aren't set, who don't have the hope and who don't have this future. I want to end with this short story. I, I have a friend who was a missionary in a country where it was really dangerous to preach the gospel. And she was there for many years, and eventually the country fell into a civil war. And she and all the expats had to leave. And I asked her, I was like, were you scared? And she said, no. The spirit gave me so much courage because I knew that I was going to leave. I started handing out tracts. I started preaching the gospel like I never did before. Because I knew the time was ending. I knew I was going home. And I want to encourage us. We know that our future is secure. Let's make sure others can come along with us. See, God's plans, God's words through Jeremiah remind us that God has never changed his plan. He's never changed his mind about us. He knows his plan, which has always included us. And he's going to fulfill it in his timing. So let us wait with patience. Let us persist in our relationship with him and walk with joy and intent as we wait for home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you that you have this future set for us, that we have a hope in you. We thank you that you have not forgotten your plan that you are near to us and not far from us. Lord, we thank you for your redemption through Jesus Christ. And we ask that as we are encouraged by your words, by these verses from scripture, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If the Spirit has been speaking to you this morning or this week or this month, um, we will have people ready to pray.